0: You're listening to Making Money Online with Lisa Johnson, the podcast that tells you what it really takes to build a business and the simple steps to get you there. I'm determined to share with you the reality of easy, simple business marketing tips to make passive income so that you can start making money online. Making Money Online is sponsored by Nicola J. Rowley PR. Helping entrepreneurs and brands get visible through strategic storytelling. If you're serious about being seen and impacting the lives of others, harnessing the power of PR is the best way to grow and scale your business. Visit njrpr.com for more details and read Nicola's best selling book, The Power of PR. Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to you about resilience. There is no business owner I know that. Hasn't had some struggles at some point in their business journey, and has had to get over them, and has had to continue on. And I've brought in a friend of mine today to talk about this with me, and that is Inga Hunter. Hello, hello. So, meaning i have known each other oh, a long time now—probably five years, four or five years since, even more. Since I think the- it's longer because yeah. it was the wedding industry days, wasn't it? Yeah, like six, maybe seven. Yeah, like one of the (laughs) longest business, longest relationship business owners I have. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, And when we met, we were both doing very different things. And now we're both doing very different things. But it's only more recently that I've known more about Inga's backstory and how she came to do what she does now. And one of the things that I talk about on here a lot, as you know, is people that overcome adversity to, to do amazing things and Inga is one of those people. So let us start with how you started. You were a teen mum at the end of the day. I think that's what they called them then. My first baby came when I was 21. Ah, So you're just so, out, you're out, of out of teenagers. It. But you were at university at the time. Yeah.
1: So tell me how that was. Oh, having a bet. Well, the story started when I was seventeen, but then I had my firstborn. Yeah, at university. How I did the out- story start
0: when you were seventeen?
1: Oh, I, I was homeless, so I um I don't go like pre seventeen because obviously it's very messy. Um, so when I was seventeen, suddenly one day found myself on the streets in Cambridge, and didn't have anywhere to go. Ended up at a like a charity kind of. It's called Center 33. Like a home yeah. type place. Yeah. So, well, no, Seventy Thirty Three is like a young person's like help desk, basically. And um, they were like, Oh, have you got anywhere to stay? And I was like, No. And they were like, Have you got anywhere to stay tonight? And I was like, Yeah. Even though I had nowhere to stay. So I ended up on the street for a couple of nights, but not really sleeping on the street, just like, staying up all night nightclubs and then going and sitting in coffee shops and sleeping and then after a couple of days they found me a room in a young women's homeless shelter which is like it was like a big victorian townhouse uh, like a hm a house of multiple occupancy what was that uh, like? oh rank like horrible like the first impressions you walk in and you're like i wept all night the first night because I was living like underneath a prostitute, across the door from a dealer and the floor was covered in like stains and cigarette burns and the mattress, even though it was a plastic mattress, somehow had blood all inside of it and you don't get anything. It's like a little kind of, it's so dirty, so rank. And um, I only had like one bin bag full of stuff. So um, yeah, slept right up against the wall, (laughs) eyes closed, trying to sleep. But then after a while, you settle into it and it becomes kind of a place weird of camaraderie because every girl, all the girls in there, no one's over 18 because you get kicked out when you're 18. Apparently you're an adult when you're 18. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't an adult when I was 18. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you get given a little bit of money from the government, but because you're 18, you're not an adult, you don't get enough money because um, you don't get adults' money. So you get enough to cover. You still have to pay rent in these places, which I think is a bit... People don't understand that you have to pay rent in homeless accommodation. You still do. I didn't know that either. Yeah. It's very subsidized. It was like uh, £12, 75 or something a week. You have to pay for your food. You have to use, um, you have to pay for tickets to use the laundry thing. There's like a shared like laundry space. But yeah, it was weird. Like looking back on it, like it's, um, even though there's a youth worker that stays in the host- hostel the whole time, it's just like, pickings for vulnerable people it's it's just a weird space anyway i only had four pounds a week to live on after all of my expenses but i was still going to college and the walk to college it was the other side of cambridge so it's like about an hour away and um i did walk for a long time because um the bus return is three pounds twenty and uh, I only had four pounds a week, but I had to get college five times a week. So <clears throat> I ended up um having to find ways to make money. Okay.
0: Yeah. What was the first way you made money?
1: No, not to-
0: <laughs> okay. What was the first way that you were allowed to tell me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, nothing like no, I used to sell cigarettes. Like it's not that was the very, 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 very first. Very, very first, was that the girls, obviously, everyone kind of smokes cigarettes. And uh, the age limit smoking cigarettes was sixteen at that time, and, um, I used to smoke menthol cigarettes because I was not <laughs> so I used to say, the very, very first. it was like a week I started selling cigarettes, um just because I would have some, and the girls never had any, so I'd sell them for like fifty p um but then beyond that, it was selling alcohol, so I knew someone who owned a bar in Cambridge, and um I struck up a deal with him where I got like a sale, a return basis on alcohol. And so I would go and pick up alcohol out of his cellar and he would mark it down. And then I would return back anything that I hadn't used. And I used to shake up the cocktails, take it back to my hostel, (laughs) shake up cocktails and um, go and sell it to queues outside of nightclubs. And they have like May balls in Cambridge every kind of spring. And you have queues and queues of people and they go into these balls. The, the St. John's one's actually like considered one of the best com, uh, parties in the whole world. They pay thousands of pounds for tickets. And I'd go up and down the queues with like these shitty Long Island iced teas in yeah. milkshake cards. <laughs> so I'd be like, uh, the queue's are really, long. It's going to take you ages to get in. Do you want a drink? <laughs> and what then they would buy one. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Well, they buy one. Then it would be like, oh, are you going to buy one for your friend? <laughs> yeah. So that was the first like proper thing that I sold. Yeah,
0: and how did you get out of
1: the homelessness situation? So I moved in when I was seventeen. So I wasn't in the hostel for very long because when you're eighteen, you do get kicked out because you're just deemed an adult. Now you tend to get kicked out and put into a proper adult homeless shelter. Really, really horrible places to be in. And so, and I knew that I didn't want to go the red scene. Other girls move out and move into these places, and it just honestly, like. Your life is ruined from that moment onwards. So, I had a friend that said I could come and stay. Well, a friend's mum who was like, "You can come and stay with us." Very, very like angelical. She turned out to just be doing it for herself. But um, yeah, I went to stay with her for a little while. Didn't work out. Went to stay just sofa surfing really. Okay. Um, still making money doing cocktails on the street. And I was 18 by that point, so I had got a um, proper alcohol license and I'd started working in the bar properly. And anyone who asked over the bar if they could do their weddings and stuff, I was like, yeah, I'll do it, because the guy didn't want to do it. So I used to set up mobile cocktail bars and go and do events and things. But the people that I was um, sort of sofa surfing on wanted to kind of fix me. Yeah. So it didn't really work out. But um, after a while, I was – I had – nowhere there was one lady in particular who had wanted to charge me which I had no idea at the time because I was like completely vulnerable 18 year old sofa surfing didn't know how much things cost she was charging me 350 pounds a week to literally sleep on her sofa Mm -hmm. and um I was so behind in rent because there was no, no way that I could pick up that kind of um money and um So I just kept avoiding going back to the house and then eventually rang up CJ, who's my now husband, and we've been friends for a long time. And I didn't, I'd ruined like loads of relationships by sofa surfing, not intentionally, but, you know, Mm -hmm. like, can I just come stay with you for like two days? I just need like two days because I'd run out of options. I knew he was at uni, but um, I'd known his mum for a while because we'd known each other while we were growing up. And he was like, yeah, I'll ring my mum. And then he rang back. He was like, yeah, my mum will come pick you up. And in the car back to his house, I was like, you get very good at lying as well when you're homeless, unfortunately. I don't lie anymore, but um, you do to survive. So she was like, oh, you know, what are you up to? What's going on? Um, and I was like, don't worry, don't worry. Like, I've got um, a tenancy that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's like really reasonable. I'm moving in with a few friends of mine, blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. And uh she'd known me for a long time, which is the probably
0: the kick off through you. She didn't knew. You. Yeah. <laughs> she,
1: knew, she knew, And so she was like, all right, Inga. <laughs> and uh then when we got back to their house, she just sort of put me up in in a room and she left me there. And I hadn't had anyone who'd just like not faffed and fiddled and sort of and I didn't realize but I slept for about a week. And then when I sort of, I mean, on and off, didn't eat anything but slept for like a week. And then when I came downstairs after about a week, she was like, you know, you're not leaving, right? <laughs> was
0: like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so love
1: it was, that. It wasn't me necessarily that dragged myself out of that situation. It was someone else. So I'm really grateful for that.
0: And then you ended up with a son. Yeah, I was always
1: going to because I'd been writing about CJ in my diaries from the age of 14. Oh, I love
0: that. And so then you had a child, you were at university. It was amazing that you even went to university because, Mm. you know, most people of this kind of background do not end up in university. I know that because I was one that also did end up in university at a later age. Um, So, how did that, how did you cope with having a child and being at uni? I don't know. I just carried
1: on. I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes people ask questions and
0: you You just don't don't know. know.
1: I think I found out I was pregnant in the second year uh, I gave birth in October so it was kind of the it was in the summer holidays I hadn't extended summer holidays because they knew I was um pregnant and they said do you want to stop and have a break you can come back they were really accommodating actually I had like full grants and full support because of my background and stuff which was great but um I knew that if I didn't carry on I wouldn't go back because I wasn't finding it a helpful degree anyway. I'd gone and done business management and marketing, thought it'd help with my businesses because I was by that point like proper full event management company and it just was a waste of time. And I knew that <laughs> I just needed to get it done. So I decided to carry on. They like bundled my lectures together into a couple of days because it was the last year. So it's more dissertation year instead of actual lecturing and just went for it. Like I used to take kid into some of my smaller workshop lectures. The lecturers were really good. I used to kind of like breastfeed her. And then I'd, some days when I had longer days, CJ would kind of sit in the car with her and I'd run out and breastfeed, go back into lectures. And um, I used a lot of dictation to write my dissertation to get it done. But you just, sometimes you just got to get things done.
0: That is what happens. And there's so many people I've spoken to. Like I think that young people who have a baby... Get a really bad rep, especially in the UK, especially even a little bit younger than you were, like, you know, when they are actual teen mums. I know so many people now in our world that had a baby between the ages of 16 and 21 who are amazing at what they do now and who have made such a lot of money and made much more of their life than some people that haven't had those experiences. And I think it's because it gives you a reason. Like, you've got to just get on with it. You can't just think about it and, and you know, go, well, I've got loads of time to think about what I want to do. You've just no. got to do
1: it. Yeah, you do have to get on with it. When you know you've got 23p in your bank account, but you've also got to go and get food, pay for snacks and all, all that kind of stuff. You
0: have to figure something out. Yeah, and I think that resilience of needing to figure things out, like having to, is one of the things that pushes people to become really successful. And I think that's what resilience is about. Um, I've always thought this when I, not just with me and my backstory, but when I've seen other people who have had no choice, you know, as soon as it becomes a no choice thing, it's like, you you have to do it. You have to make money. Mm -hmm. Then I see resilience enter. And when things go wrong, it doesn't matter it's like oh, it doesn't matter that that's gone one I've still got to make this work so I will try again and yeah. there's a real difference between those people and the people that are like well it didn't really work out the first time so I don't I'm not going to bother anymore and I think that there's we can really learn from that resilience that people have because if we want something enough we will make it work
1: yeah I think you've got a good point it's that whole fail fast but you're forced to fail
0: fast so. yeah you're forced to you, you can't learn, learn it. it for a long period of time yeah
1: but also I wonder if there's when you have a baby a bit younger they just they have to fit in like there's you don't spend years and years thinking or about the way that you would mother or parent it's just like okay fuck it I mean I cried for like three days when I found out I was pregnant but I was like you know I'm not a kid I'm with the person I'm gonna be with so let's do this Get
0: on with it yeah yeah and, and I think that's not a bad way to be that, like, it's going to have to fit in because I think that when it is a different situation, you can spend a long time faffing about with things that really don't matter. Yes. I remember, I mean, that this is probably a controversial opinion, but I remember being in, I was very old when I had the twins, I was like 35, mm-hmm. and I remember being in one of those antenatal classes, and I was just like, not really interested in things like how those babies were going to be born it was like just get them born and let them be safe and yeah. that's fine and they all had these birth plans that included five tracks that were going to be on as giving oh, yeah. birth and which smell of candle were going to be there and how have you got time to think about all of these things like my life was so hectic at that point. and so yeah. in have, uh, when am I going to have the time to actually have these babies? You know, like it was—it was a crazy time, and these people had like spent weeks and weeks writing these detailed fifty-page plans, and it really showed me that there are definitely different types of people out there. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's not that that's wrong. It's just yeah, it's different. It's different, and and it shows that some people have the privilege to be that's able to cool. do those things. Yes. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's the privilege of the time to be able to not have to think about anything else but that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. You know, some people don't have. OK, let's talk about what you do now. So your businesses have changed. You've evolved over the years now. What you do it? Mm-hmm. And you're now at this point where you've been helping loads of people with their social media, mm-hmm. um, really thinking about social media in a different way to how most people do. Um, with Huddle mm. and you now have this new business which I'm very excited about so talk us through how that came to be
1: oh well so one to skip a few I was selling cocktails that turned into a cocktail bar that turned into event management that turned into wedding planning and there was a moment where I was um I had my second baby planned cesarean because I had to have him before the summer season began in weddings <laughs> Uh, took my laptop to hospital and a bride rang me up and she said, should I have duck blue cushions or uh, duck egg blue cushions or light blue cushions? And I was like, fuck my life. How am I (laughs) sat here? (laughs) (laughs) She was lovely, but I knew at that point something needed to change. But I had been attracting wedding clients through Instagram. And I'd had a few people that started to ask me, like, how are you? doing that I had studied marketing so I kind of knew what I was doing so I started to just teach people and talk to people and then I came across you you know we'd already got to know each other in a small way but you'd said oh you should turn this into a thing like you could start charging people and so I did
0: and then <laughs> and like all stories end up with you told me to charge for- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> I took one of your courses and now <laughs> insert success <laughs> Yeah. And that was it. And then I, um, yeah, started to help people. I mean, I did do a lot of social media management. because I wanted to test out my theories on like corporates who had money to burn instead of small businesses. So I was working with corporates managing their social media because they had no clue and a lot of them still don't. And teaching people in a membership which was called Design Your Socials, it's now called Huddle. And that's grown. So I have now three different Uh, digital marketing companies that all hit people at different points and different sizes of businesses. So I have Huddle, which is very startup, small hobby, solo kind of, it's a membership, but it's just, it's like a rolling gym, basically doing the things you need to do. I have my Inger Hunter brand, which is where I have my 12 month mentorship, which is called the agency And I tend to just I make speaking arrangements now with people like Oh my God, you've got a story Let's let's hear this. Um, But then my new company, which I'm really excited about, and I've got loads of big plans for, is a content creation house. So a lot of the time, I'll tell people, and I've seen it happen over the years. I'll be like, You need to do your content. 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 But it's becoming so hard with the introduction of high quality video. And with the way that things are going, you know, soon it will be augmented reality, virtual reality. And it's not fair. So m- me being me, I was like, people shouldn't have to spend 4,000, 5,000 pounds a month to hire in a whole production company to just do their social media. So I worked really, really hard to make an accessible option. Obviously, it still has to be around about a thousand pounds a month on average because I'm bringing in sort of two videographers, photographer, graphic designer. but. Um, I've made this kind of system inside of Clue where I can create people's content, high quality content. And my goal is to be one of the first UK companies to get small business owners onto the metaverse when it comes out in around about five to seven years.
0: Oh, sorry, I'm working really hard. I'll be there. I'll be <laughs> yes. in there. I'm so interested in it. I have this theory <clears throat> that eventually we'll all live in the metaverse even when we're 300 years old. Like um, that spaceship. Wall-y. Uh, no, like upload. We will upload oh. our brains and our memories and everything into the metaverse so that we can just continue living without our bodies. Uh, yeah, but it would only be the people that have the money that can upload them, I reckon. it end up like this utopia verse. Yeah, but it won't be a utopia verse if it's just all the same type of people, will it? We'll have to make sure that we we get some others in there. There's so many ethics to consider. <laughs> so many things to consider. That's a whole new episode on it? Yes. own. <laughs> we'll talk about the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah, you've done brilliantly. And I love Clue. Like mm-hmm. Clue, I think it's, it's a brilliant thing that you're doing. I can see it just massively taking off and having so many people want it that you're not going to be able to cope. But that's a good thing. I'm working on my nice to cope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good thing. So many people need that. But thank you for coming in and chatting with me about your story today. That, you know, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast. It's a lot that we talk about that um, we we need to share with other people. If we ever find a time that aligns, I mean, it's taken four months to get this it has. <laughs> it's both rubbish. We live right yeah. near each other. And we never see each other.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. But I'd love um, to come back.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we will. We 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 will we will do another one. But really what I want you guys listening to take away from this is resilience. I want you to realize that if you want something enough, you can fail, you can find things hard. You can do things that you never thought you would possibly be able to do because you want it enough and because you need it enough. And have that in your head as you're doing things rather than thinking that something will be nice to have. You know when people do vision boards and go, oh, this would be lovely if my life was like this. I want you to think it's a need. You need the life that you really want because you only get one of them. And if you don't have that life, you're going to be like old on your deathbed, kicking yourself, that you didn't do everything you could to have the life that you really wanted because we get one chance to do it. All right, I will leave that with you and I will speak to you next week. Thanks for being here, Inga. Thank you everyone for listening and I will speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to Making Money Online with Lisa Johnson. If you'd like to get hold of my guide to launching, Go to lisajohnson.com forward slash launch and let's get you making money online.